Welcome to The Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm Charlie Wright, and we'd like to welcome here in the studio, Christina Alfandri, Managing Director at Gabelli Asset Management. Christina, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Thank you, Charlie. So, Christina, you're out of uh, New York, but you're here in the studio with us. So thank you very much for uh, coming uh, here, not just for us, but to grace your presence for many in California. You started out with a, an MBA from Columbia University, and you've worked now for many years in the industry. Uh, we're focusing today, even though Gabelli Asset Management has about $17 billion in assets, we're talking today about their ESG strategy. And you were involved with another asset manager in developing, with the world in combination with the World Bank, green bonds and other ESG strategies. So uh, you're a specialist there with Gabelli focused on ESG. So give us a brief background of yours, and let's start talking about ESG investing, environmental, social, and governance. Well, I'll first add that the $17 billion number is the mutual fund business of Gabelli. We actually manage $40 billion. The firm has been around for 40 years. Um, but more, but what's very interesting and many people don't know is that the firm has actually been in the socially responsible investing area for 30 years. And we managed just around a billion dollars in those kinds of strategies. And we've done that um, for institutions, foundations, um, and high net worth individuals. Okay, thanks. So SRI, for those who may not know socially responsible investing, was kind of the um, the the name of what we call today ESG, environmental, social, and governance. So it's kind of uh, morphed or changed into the new name here. So tell us about ESG investing. We have not had on our show many interviews on that particular subject and how it has evolved over the past several years because it has, because it has really started to change. Yes, I'd love to. So as some investors back in the 60s, a lot of religious institutions um, were concerned with some of the controversial issues. So socially responsible investing was traditionally associated with negative screening around whether it be alcohol or tobacco or perhaps gaming. And what's happened is as, the, as you know, certain industries have changed and moved forward, there started to become more attention paid to sustainable investments, maybe renewables, um, certain types types of products that dealt with and focused on those things. And so the ESG strategy um, that we manage at Gabelli has, has those two components, and I'll talk about those more, but more importantly, ESG integration has evolved around looking at companies, any company, and how they manage their own sort of natural capital resources, that um, human capital, energy use, water use, and, and specifically, so a good example would be, you know, if you think of a beverage company, they're fairly exposed to, let's say, water. And water is a natural resource that is scarce. It's becoming scarcer in certain parts of the world. 
And how does that company examine um, how much water it's using? Has it developed um, processes to reduce the amount of water that it's wasting in its in its manufacturing operations? And in doing that, it it be- essentially becomes a more sustainable company because it you know is able to persist and and keep developing it, its it, let's say its beverages. A good example of that, uh, more specifically, many, some people know that Coca Cola in India, had to chuck down a, a factory, I think in 2015, precisely because it essentially ran out of water in the local environment um, and had to, you know, shut down those operations. And those are, you know, real economic issues. You know, uh, I think for many years, in the earlier years, Christina, that uh, the ESG, or at the time, SRI industry, was often criticized for being window dressing, for being a marketing ploy. But I think more recently there have been academic studies uh, that have uh, been very strong and come out uh, and, and, and highly criticized uh, the way that SRI had been done in the past and the opportunities for SRI in the future. And supposedly companies now have and businesses have come out uh, and, and responded to that. So tell us how the environment and that industry has changed? So the environment has really changed from, um, again, negative screening to be much more forward-looking. And, you know, with companies paying more attention to these these, these issues and voluntarily disclosing um, on many of them, the real, the, it, the, there's an ability now for analysts to examine a lot of, whether it be qualitative or some quantitative data, let's say, around climate metrics or water usage and things like that, and get a handle on, you know, what are they doing to manage these issues? And, I mean, what's really changed, I would say, over the last couple of years, um, which is very noteworthy, is there have been a number of uh, research providers just specifically around ESG uh, information and data that have developed two examples are, there's a company out of Europe called Sustainalytics that all of their research analysts focus on looking at these issues for, you know, 5,000 companies. Um, MSCI has what they call MSCI ESG, where they have 250 research analysts um, around the world that specifically look at uh, ESG issues for companies, um, you know, in, in various indices. And so what that has enabled... Um, asset management to do is to then access certain information that in some cases the companies um, companies are, are sort of highlighting some of this information and in other cases they aren't. But what it creates is sort of an ecosystem of information that has not traditionally been looked at by asset managers or perhaps research analysts, but is increasingly looking, um, is examining those issues. And then what will also happen is you'll have um, specific instances, whether it be like a VW or a BP, that'll show that the, the, it, the instance will show that there were actually signs within the company's business operations that ESG analysis actually picked up on. Um, in, in case of BP, for example, um, they had a multiple of sort of safety violations relative to their peers if someone really dug into, into that sort of information. And, and then the question is, you know, as, as an investment person, well, what, you know, does that signal something? What does that signal? Um, it could, 
point to a possible risk that they may not be looking at or incorporating into their evaluation model. And so that's one of the reasons why um, people are very interested in, in understanding how the ESG information can be used. And then also there's, you know, obviously the large issue of climate change and the impact of climate change around the world. Um, it, it, large institutional investors are starting to try to understand, you know, what are the, what are the uh, ramifications of that climate change potentially to their portfolios? You know, what risks might they be exposed to that they, they, they aren't completely um, aware of? So let's focus on the ESG investing itself. What major misconceptions do you find, that, that, that's been your, your total focus for many years, uh, what major misconceptions do investors and advisors have, in your opinion, of ESG investing? Well, I would say they really run along the two lines. One is there's a whole generation of advisors who still um, just think of the negative screening part. And ESG integration is really forward-looking. And so that sort of has to, has to there's a lot of education that needs to go on in, in terms of advisors understanding that it is not just, you know, it's not about negative screening anymore. It's really a forward-looking sort of risk um, perspective and understanding on looking at these issues. Um, that's one. And then the, the other mis- misconception is that, um, you know, there, there are many who think, okay, well, you know, if my portfolio doesn't have a Tesla or an LED light bulb manufacturing it, it can't possibly be ESG. But as I said, you know, ESG integration is really looking at any company and understanding based upon its, on its business operations, you know, what are the material environmental social governance issues to its business. You know, water is not a material issue to, let's say, a financial services firm. Not that it's not important, but it's just not as material as it would be to a beverage manufacturer. And then understanding how they're managing those risks. So uh, we need to take a short break here. When we come back, let's talk about the Gabelli ESG strategy and how you guys apply various metrics uh, in order to invest in particular ways. Again, we're talking with Christina Alfondri, Managing Director of Gabelli Asset Management, and we're talking about their ESG strategy. You're listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio, and we'll be right back. All right, time for our tip of the week with Charlie Wright. Who have you got with you today, Charlie? Paul, we've got Tim Plain, editor of the newsletter, The Dividend Hunter by Investors Alley. Tim, thanks for joining us. Hi, Charlie. Glad to be here. Tim, you published The Dividend Hunter to recommend high-dividend-paying stocks, uh, BDCs, and REITs. Tell us right now, what tip do you have for us today? Uh, Today, I'd like to talk about a master's limited partnership, an MLP, called NGL Energy Partners, stock symbol NGL. Okay, and why do you like them? Um, I'm looking at this as kind of a turnaround play. It's one whose uh, share price has fallen from almost 26 down to under $14. And it's all because the company had announced dividend increases later in the year than then a few weeks ago they announced they wouldn't be increasing the dividend until next year. And the market kind of hammered it, but it's still a pretty good company. Okay. And, and uh, what, what kinds of uh, criteria tell you that you like them as a company? You know, they're kind of a hodgepodge of different uh, energy infrastructure assets, and they have a tremendous amount of upside cash flow potential as energy production growth in, like, the Permian and out west grows. So they've got some built-in growth coming, 
And while you're waiting, you have an 11.5% dividend yield you can earn along the way. Okay, so uh, what was that ticker symbol again? It's NGL. Okay, and for those who would like to know more, where can they go, Tim? For my personal newsletter, it's The Dividend Hunter, and I'm sponsored by InvestorsAlley.com. If you go to the InvestorsAlley.com website, you can find all the information about my services. Okay, and they can communicate with you? Yes, they can. Okay, Tim, thank you very much for joining us today, and happy dividend hunting here. Thank you, Charlie. All right, back to Charlie and his guest. Paul, thank you very much. Again, we're talking with Christina Alfondri, Managing Director of Gabelli Asset Management. We're talking about ESG strategies uh, in general, and then we'll be getting into the Gabelli ESG strategy. So uh, th- there is a, an attitude in the world of investing, uh, Christina, that um, an investor need, w- will have to sacrifice returns if they focus on ESG that there is a trade-off that they get to feel good and uh, about uh, pursuing things that they think are, are socially valuable, but that there will probably a trade-off in lower returns. Does the data confirm that? So what's really interesting is that recently, in the last couple of years, there have been studies showing that ESG integration, particularly um, when, when companies are materially managing these issues in their business operations, that those companies um, are essentially over t- over a long period of time uh, outperform. There is a, a 2015 Harvard Business School case study that is based on um, ESG materiality that shows that there's a lot of um, sort of notoriety around that study. There is also, um, I believe Deutsche Bank had done a, a, a meta-study on on. 2,000 other academic studies or research studies that have been done around ESG and performance. And basically, the, the suggestive conclusions of that were that over a long period of time, an investor is not, or the, the strategy is not giving up performance, and the majority of the time, um, it's, in, it's actually enhancing, um, reduces risk, and gives, you know, gives rise to some alpha even. So let's talk here about the ESG strategy of Gabelli. What is your business model, and then who do you filter out or not filter out, and and how does it, what's the investment model? So the the Gabelli ESG strategy um, it's evolved over time. Uh, it originated with negative screening um, based on on what the clients were looking for, uh, but I would I it really sort of runs along three things. So you have you do have neg- some negative screening around certain things like top weapons, defense manufacturers, um, typically also alcohol, gaming, tobacco. We can customize that. Per client, and also uh, several years ago, we added a fossil fuel. I mean, Gabelli's uh, investment methodology is based on private market value with a catalyst, where value, you know, bottoms up stock pickers, um, and we typically in our value space um, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't guide us to a commodity-based business. You know, we're looking for companies that are high free cash flow generators. So we felt that implementing a, a fossil fuel, a sort of a hard fossil fuel free mandate you know, was fine for us um, in the ESG strategy. The other area that, again, you know, we're bottoms up, fundamental, we look for long-term themes. We had done a lot of research um, back in the early 2000s around water and not even thinking about sustainability, but more just from an investment thesis. If you think about population growth, supply-demand dynamics, um, water scarcity, you know, need for uh, replacement infrastructure, 
And then we do our homework, you know, where, what kinds of um, sectors, you know, whether it be water metering, uh, valves, pumps, things like that, are going to benefit potentially from this the supply demand demand dynamic and and increased need for water um, replacement infrastructure. Uh, And then we look, we do our PMV with a catalyst. So the portfolio has exposure to that water theme, water scarcity theme. Also, um, another great example of another theme that we've looked at is uh, waste management and resource recovery. Americans produce a tremendous amount of garbage. We're probably, unfortunately, one of the most wasteful you know, populations in the world, and somebody has to deal with it. And um, when you look at the waste management industry, you know, we, we, many years ago, you know, we looked at it, we saw an industry that high free cash flow generating, had good barriers to entry because, you know, waste management is a regulated industry. Um, it was more fragmented when we, you know, began our investments. There was some consolidation that took place, which was good. And also, you know, now what's very interesting about the waste management sector is these companies are looking at can they? How do they convert their fleets that are picking up the the you know the waste and the and the garbage to natural gas? They're extracting methane gas out of their landfills and selling them to energy companies. So there's a lot going on there um, that we you know that we think is very interesting and is appropriate for our ESG strategy. Um, another area is health and wellness. The U.S. population, uh, we you know, has been shifting its its sort of purchasing patterns as people become more aware that diet and not just exercise, um, can change someone's sort of, you know, uh, propensity toward obesity. I mean, there's a lot of obesity in the United States. So, and then finding which companies are sort of shifting their product portfolio, you know, what are they doing in terms of looking at, you know, the water that they're using, you know, know, there are companies that we have that um, have moved almost all of their packaging to recycled packaging. And so, you know, you have that going on in the portfolio. So it's it's really a combination of, of, you know, some negative screening, some long-term sustainability themes that we we sort of are exposed to, look, really focused in on the investment area, the investment case for those themes, and then ESG within the companies that we are, any of the companies that we have in the portfolio. How are they? How are they managing, you know, material, environmental, social governance issues to their business? So even if it's an industrial company, certain things in in I can think of one particular industrial company where you know health, health you know, worker safety is very very important. Um, and then, you know, how are they managing their own energy usage? Um, and as companies are focusing on these issues more, it becomes more pronounced in the ability for the investment team to look at them as well. Okay, and so uh, they have to have a co- combination of both fundamental value as an investment and a, a, an ESG score of a minimum amount kind of thing. Is, is that a basic way to describe it? For the, yes, as a, in totality in the portfolio, we're looking. We absolutely have to have our private market value sort of an investment thesis intact, and then um, integrating both you know the ESG and making sure that in totality the portfolio has has a good score. One development which um, you may know of is Morningstar launched in early two thousand and seventeen um, a system of sustainability globe scores on all mutual funds and it's it's a very bottoms up process there um and so the investment team uh at gabelli around the esg strategy is is you know managing also to be mindful of you know what that that score and that rating is but the investment thesis um absolutely is the priority so what what do you see as the biggest challenges that that you have seen, Christina, in uh, persuading investors and advisors 
to embrace ESG investing? I think um, one of the biggest challenges is for the for a long time it's been considered, um, as I said, you know, just sort of warm and fuzzy, you know, um, you know, you know, just doing good, right? But now, what um, it's it's really evolved where because of certain um, risks to let's say the environment with respect to climate change, it's imperative that um, investors, in, large institutional investors, certainly are looking at these issues as risks, right? If, they, if, if, if a company, if, if collectively does nothing around these risks, you know, you know water becomes more scarce. Um, you know, there's ch- a changing dynamic in, in energy as, as wind, solar, and renewables, you know, prices, uh, costs decrease. So, um, you know, I think that making, making um, advisors and, and other investors understand that it's a lot more than just doing something because it seems like it will make you feel better. That um, these are integral um, elements of of information that can be very useful to um, an, a research analyst and uh, a portfolio manager. I mean, some people are calling it. Um, I, I heard one person refer to it as Graham and Dodd two O. You know, have a huge amount of non traditional information. Um, that is now more available, and how can you use that as an investment person um, to make better investment decisions? You know, you, you were talking about water. We did a water uh, interview show on a, a firm that is strictly and completely focused on water uh, investing and really opened our eyes here uh, about uh, the challenges of water uh, throughout the world, especially in China and elsewhere in Asia and certainly in India. And just very recently, within the past, I think, two weeks, there was a long article in the Wall Street Journal about a couple of rivers in India and how polluted they are and how many people are getting sick and how terrible it is. And, you know, India is a bureaucratic quagmire. And so that's the primary problem. that This river flows through different organizations, um, and bureaucratic uh, responsibilities, and they can't coordinate things, and people are dying, they're getting sick right and left, and it's just horrible, the uh, the amount of pollution in that water. So there's no question about it. Uh, water is an issue in this world. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, issues, as unfortunate they were, the, you know, the Flint, Michigan water yes. crisis, yes. it's only when there's a crisis around something like water where suddenly people realize how urgent and dire you know, when you're out of, without water, look at what's happening in Puerto Rico. You know, when you're without water, you're, you know, it is a dire situation. So anything, you know, companies can do, um, especially ones that are, that whose businesses are heavily exposed to water, um, anything that they can do to decrease their water usage, um, you know, wastewater less um, is, is important from a, from a, you know, a business standpoint. So Christina, a question we'd like to ask all of our guests, what keeps you awake at night? Well, the market right now is, you know, the valuations are very uh, extended. So, you know, that, that's a little bit troubling. Personally, I think um, the situation where you now you have, you know, with respect to climate change, you have both Nigeria and Syria having joined the climate pact, and now the U.S. is the only country that is not part of that. I think there's, the, the U.S. should be a leader 
in innovation around um, some solutions with, with related to climate change, and, and that's a good opportunity for us economically and, and for jobs. And I think um, right now, you know, it looks like China is 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 going to be uh, potentially become the leader in that because you've got you know the government support to it. That personally unsettles me. Okay, and the second question we'd like to ask all guests uh, is what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? So uh, there's a, having been, you know, a graduate of Columbia Business School, there's a book written by a Columbia Business School professor, Jeffrey Heal, and it's called Endangered Economies. And it walks through from an economist standpoint, the whole concept of, of natural capital and how, in fact, people have not been properly accounting for sort of the waste of natural capital. Um, and because certain resources are finite, you know, that has ramifications. Um, you know, if, if, you know, the fisherman uphill, you know, ruins the, the, the stream for the fisherman downhill, there's a cost to that. But right now, some of that has not been considered or taken account. So um, that, I think that's an ex- it's an excellent book. Well, thank you. No one has uh, recommended that before, so we appreciate it. So uh, for those who would like to know more, uh, give us website and contact information. Sure. So our website is www.gabelli.com, G-A-B-E-L-L-I.com. And I certainly can be reached in New York at 914-921-5101 on this subject matter. And I get contacted by people in Singapore, you know, all around the world, um, you know, to talk about, you know, how do you look at these issues? Um, so I, I'm happy always to speak to investors or advisors um, and anyone, even if it's just for educational purposes. So thank you, Christina. Final words for our listeners. Final words for our listeners. Well, I would, for, from, for investors, I think um, there are very, very large long-term dynamics that are changing um, around us, changing the world around us, whether they be shifts in energy or, you know, water scarcity. And I do think it's important for investors to understand what do they own and why do they own it? And to the extent that they have an opportunity to, to play some of these investment themes, whether it be a water or health and wellness or, you know, sustainable agriculture or something like that. Um, you know, I, I think that w- that's something that everybody should look at. So thank you very much. And it's certainly a worthy cause to uh, take care of Mother Earth and uh, uh, all of our futures here. So, Christina, thank you very much for coming into the studio today and being with us and sharing your time and thoughts with us. Thank you, Charlie. It was a real pleasure to be here. Again, we've been talking with Christina Alfondri, Managing Director uh, at uh, Gabelli Asset Management, uh, regarding their ESG strategy. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on OC Talk Radio. We'd love to have you contact us at info at strategicinvestorradio.com, and you can go to our website to hear podcasts of all of our interviews and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you an enjoyable week and productive investing. Strategic Investor Radio is a production of OC Talk Radio, and is provided for educational purposes only. Content of this program and the views of the guests should not be considered as recommendations by OC Talk Radio or investment advice from the host, Charlie Wright, or any other entity attached to this production. Investors should always consult qualified financial, investment, tax, or legal professionals prior to investing. <laughs>